Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. All right. Good evening, City Reach. It's uh, great to be with you. I came up way too early then and ended up standing here awkwardly, but that's all right. We're here. It's all good. Um, my name's Damien, if you, if you don't know me. Um, in the sort of one and a half-ish years that my wife and I have been coming here, we've been blessed to strike up um, friendships with many of you. Um, one of those we've become friends with is, is Carl, who's not his, uh, on, on um, dad duty tonight, so he's not here. But uh, we've come to know each other a bit. We're in the same small group. He's an awesome guy. He's very, very easy to become, become friends with, as many of you know. But if he knew me a little bit better... He probably wouldn't have picked me to, to, to preach the sermon, to be honest. Like, music knowledge and, and uh, appreciation is pretty low on my, uh, my skill set, but that's all right. We'll make it work. I've actually got a bit of a confession. Um, I was a bit embarrassed to realize that the song we're, we're looking at tonight is five years old and has over 100 million YouTube hits, and I'd never heard of it. So, um, in fact, just show it hands to potentially make me feel better or worse. The song is called Money on My Mind by Sam Smith. Hands up if you have never heard of that. Oh, I feel better. Wow, awesome. Even some young people with their hands up. That's great. Um, so yeah, it's called, it's called Money on My Mind by Sam Smith. I'd literally only heard of the guy because he did a Bond soundtrack, like he did the, the soundtrack for one of the latest Bond movies, and so that's the only way I'd heard of him. Um, not a knock on him, amazing voice, just shows the extent of my new, new, uh, music knowledge. But in the, in the series so far, um, this is the th- third week of a four-part series, Carl talked in week one about um, the comparison culture that we have and how we, we seek the approval of others. Then in week two, it was um, the way that we seek sort of healing and validation through relationships. And tonight's song, even though I, you know, I didn't know the song, it has some, um, the lyrics sort of speak about some stuff that's really deeply ingrained in our culture and gives some really interesting insights into, into our culture at present. Um, let's pray as we get into it. Um, Father God, I just ask for help tonight as I um, seek to, to speak into this incredibly complex society that we're a part of. Um, we thank you that you are the author of life, which means that your truth remains true. It doesn't change, and we praise you for that. And as, as we um, seek to, to, to sort of find where your truth meets our culture today, I ask that you'll give us wisdom to um, see through the things that are thrown at us and really see your truth in the midst of that. And so we ask for your help tonight, that you'll give us um, soft hearts and willing ears to listen. Amen. All right, so before we um, consider the lyrics of the song, um, I just want to read this excerpt from um, Pastor Paul Tripp um, in his book. Um, he wrote a book called Sex and Money. Um, so just to, to set the scene a bit for the significance of this topic tonight, uh, pointing that the wrong way, I know. That's all right. If it doesn't come up, I'll still read it. I'll start reading it. So this is Pastor Paul Tripp. He says, Money will be a blessing to you or it will be a curse. It will be a tool in the hands of a God of grace or it will be a doorway to bad and dangerous things. Like two sides of a physical coin, there are two spiritual sides to money. Each side calls to you. Each side holds before you a vision and promises. Each side asks not just for the investment of your money, but for the allegiance of your heart. The battle between the two sides of the money coin rages in the heart of every person this side of eternity. Money is a danger. Money is a blessing. What will it be for you? 
Where the rubber meets the road in everyday life, you will not answer the question once. No, you will have to answer it again and again as day after day you are greeted with false promises and truth, each voice telling you what to do with the money in your hand. So that's, that's pretty full on, but money is, money is a full on topic. Right? It's a tricky topic. It's, obviously, money is a crucial part of our, our lives. We can't get away from that. It is, we all need it. I'm stating obvious things here, but it's just so, it's so ingrained in, in, our, in our society and our need as human beings, and there's a whole range of opinions on it, even, among, in, even in the church, perhaps especially in the church. There's a whole range of opinions on how we should honour God with our money and how we should be using our money. You know, people have varying opinions on how much money we should have, how much we should be saving whether we should be investing, how much and in what capacity is it right to give away. And Jesus talked about money a whole lot, which shows uh, how important it is. We're going to come to that in a moment. But first, let's um, unpack the song a little bit. So the, the chorus of the song, I, I don't have money on my mind, I do it for the love. Now, the, the basic premise of the song is Sam Smith is talking about when he signed his uh, huge record deal. And he says at the start of the song, when I signed my deal, I felt pressure. So the song is essentially about that he, he felt this pressure to, to produce songs, to write and, and um, perform songs that would fulfill his contractual demands and make a whole lot of money for himself and for his record company and for everyone else involved. He felt pressure to do that. Um, but the surprising thing is, you know, you might expect that in a sermon about money, we'd pick a song that is just like very materialistic about money and very greedy about money, telling us to just go and get as much money as we can. There's a lot of songs like that out there, but this song is not actually like that. It's not actually being very materialistic about money. He's, he's saying, I don't want to write songs for the money. I don't want to be pressured to do that. What I want to do is I want to produce songs because I love doing it. I want to do it for the love of it. Now, there's a lot to be said for that. There's a lot to be said for that. I'm a primary school teacher and I've seen both ends of the spectrum. I've seen people that teach because they love it and people that teach for all kinds of wrong reasons. And the stakes are pretty high when it comes to little children, all right? Because it's not an easy job. It's an amazing job. It's not easy. And I've seen people who are amazing teachers because they love what they do. Even on the bad days, they feel like they should be doing it because they're passionate about it. And I've also seen teachers who should not be anywhere near the classroom, but they do it because they don't know what else to do or because they're um, approaching retirement and they just feel like they need to do it to, to reach retirement. So there's a lot to be said for what Sam Smith is saying. All right? Not just doing something with your job or finding a hobby that you love, not just doing things because you need the money, but because you love doing them. But the, the line, I do it for the love, that actually speaks to um, a, a, this popular notion within our culture that goes a lot deeper than just finding a job or a hobby that you um, enjoy. Now, obviously our culture is very materialistic. I think we can all probably agree on that, that our, our, our culture is very materialistic. We, we look up to people who have the nicest um, lifestyles, the nicest fashion, we admire cars, technology, you know, nice houses, pools, expensive pets. Even within our church, this is definitely a, a, you know, th something we have to be conscious of. Um, but in recent years, uh, if we can have the next slide, I'm not sure if this is working, but that's all right. In recent years, there's been this slight shift. A lot of people are moving away from seeking um, fulfillment in stuff. A lot of people are, are moving away from seeking wealth or seeking possessions. And instead of pour, putting more emphasis on, on, on what we can get or what they can get, a lot of people are finding that 
You actually get a lot more enjoyment or pleasure or fulfillment in experiences, in doing things that bring you joy and with people that bring you joy and all that sort of thing. And, you know, I actually, you know, I, can, I certainly don't disagree with that. Recently I had my wedding anniversary and we didn't, Rachel and I didn't actually buy each other an anniversary present. We're not very gifty kind of people. We just went away for a couple of days and as, as you know, we just, we, we spent money enjoying each other's company and with food and all that sort of thing. We didn't actually buy each other presents. Not to say that buying presents is, is wrong, it's just sort of who we are as a couple. So Sam Smith sings that he doesn't want to write songs for the money, he wants to write them just for the love of it. And that sounds good, but straight away there's a bitty, pretty big flaw with that. And that is that it's a lot easier to do things for the love of it if you're a multimillionaire. And I mean, I can't, maybe he's not, maybe he doesn't manage his money very well, I don't know. But it's pretty, pretty safe assumption that Sam Smith has a whole lot of money. Um, and so he's not like one of those, you know, people in the majority of countries in the world that struggle to put food on the table for their families every day. He's not exactly in that situation. But then we consider it more deeply and we're kind of in the same situation. We're not, might not, might not be millionaires, but we can't really look down at our noses at Sam Smith because it's a lot easier for us to say, I don't care about money that much, it doesn't have a hold on me, if we've got plenty, or if we've got financial security, or if we've got people in our lives that we know can help us if we run out of money. Now, I'm not denying the fact there's quite possibly people in here with legitimate financial struggles, but as a generalization, in Adelaide, especially you know, in this day and age in Adelaide, not too many of us really genuinely hardcore struggle with money. And so it's a lot easier for us, just like Sam Smith, to say, actually, I don't do it for the money when we have plenty of it. I'd argue that this push away from money and towards experiences is actually uh, less of a push away from money and a it's more of a slightly different expression of it. Instead of, instead of pursuing wealth and money for the sake of it, wealth or financial security becomes like a cushion that enables us to experience everything we want to in life. And one of the, one of the core, core precepts of our culture is find things that you love doing and do them. Like it's the, the whole, you know, yo, you only live, you only live once thing, that, that the whole live in the moment thing, to not worry too much about tomorrow and about the future, live in the moment, find things that you enjoy now, find things that you want to do now. So today we have more and more people who don't want to feel enslaved by their job, they don't want to feel enslaved by the need to make money and have more stuff because they feel like it doesn't make them happy and so they seek happiness by seeking enjoyable experiences. And I think a huge part of this desire, and this is very much reflected in this song, is that as human beings, we don't want to feel enslaved by anything. We want to feel free. We want to feel in control of our own lives, of our own destiny. I mean, think about it. Sam Smith probably doesn't need more money. He, 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 he doesn't need to sing this song. He can do whatever he wants with his voice and he'll still have enough money, all right? You love singing for the love of it? Fine, that's fine. You don't need more money. It's not a big deal for you. But all through the lyrics of this song, I think you see his yearning for freedom. He doesn't want to be tied to the need to sing songs for money. That's what I think he's really rebelling against. He's like, no, I don't want to be enslaved to this need to, to, to work for money. I want to pursue things that I love. I want to be free from that. I don't want to be enslaved by it. 
As humans, we love feeling free. We love having autonomy over our own lives, control over our own, over our own lives. And, you know, culture tells us to chase experiences, to make ourselves happy, to put ourselves at the center. The whole world revolves around you and what you want for yourself. That is the ultimate goal. And we want to feel like we're the ones in charge. Deep down, every one of us, every single one of us wants to feel like we're in charge. We want to feel free to make our own decisions. We want to be free to live our lives the way we want to. And side note, you know, I'm not going to get into this tonight because it will take too long, but I strongly argue, I would strongly argue that the more our culture seeks after freedom, the more confused it gets and the more lost it gets. Um, and the irony is that we don't want to be controlled by anyone or anything. Um, you know, we want to be in control of our own destiny. The irony is that when we live in line with that cultural narrative, we actually begin to be enslaved by it. We actually, it begins to control us, it begins to lead us. The end result is that we're not free at all. We're completely enslaved to our culture, which tells us how we should be thinking, how we should be feeling, how we should be acting and reacting. And that's why we're doing this series on playlist propaganda. You know, we need to examine the messages that come at us through music and through other, other mediums, and you know, they impact on our thoughts, they impact on our emotions, our desires. And the reality is that no matter how free we might think we are, we're all being led by something. We're all being controlled, if you want to use a stronger word, enslaved by something. And so whether we're making our wealth and our, uh, uh, you know, our lifestyle the center of our focus or, or pushing that to the side and saying, no, I'm not pursuing that. I'm actually going to pursue things that make me happy. I'm going to pursue experiences and um, you know, experience all that life has to offer to make me happy, regardless of what one we're pursuing. Either way, we, we end up finding ourselves enslaved to this uh, never-ending search for lasting fulfillment, lasting pleasure, lasting happiness, because it all seems so fleeting. I would argue that all these pleasures are fleeting, even the long-lasting ones are fleeting, and this freedom is actually an illusion. I once heard, once heard a preacher say that, it really stuck with me, I heard it years and years ago, it really stuck with me, that the freest person on earth is one who is slave to a perfect master. The freest person on earth is one who is slave to a perfect master. And Carl actually talked last week about how when we come under the lordship of Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing him pretty heavily here, but when we come out of, under the lordship of Jesus, we find true freedom. Because Jesus actually sets us free from being enslaved to all those other things. And so trusting his lordship means to trust that he actually knows what is best for us and actually loves us perfectly and brings us into what is best for us. So let's, let's look at what Jesus says on the topic of money. Um, and as with most of what he says on controversial issues, it's, it's not boring. Like, he speaks some pretty strong words, and it might even surprise you if you don't know these stories. So I'm going to read two of Jesus' parables. Parables are special stories that he told that had a specific sort of meaning or lesson in them, um, because these two actually contrast really interestingly. You'll see that in a moment. First one is the parable of the talents. It'll be up on the screen for you. Um, he starts off by saying, for it will be. Now, just a bit of context. He's actually talking about the kingdom of God. He's just told another parable about the arrival of the kingdom of God, and that's what he's talking about here. This is what Jesus said. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. A talent was a large amount of money, just for the record. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. 
Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away." And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Second parable um, is from Luke 12, it's a bit shorter. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to, to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, I chose those two parables because the contrast is fascinating, all right? In, in one, the rich guy is the villain. In the second one, the rich guy is the villain. And God is so angry that he literally takes his life, his life away from him. And in the other, it's the guy who has the least amount of money given to him that is the one that earns the wrath and gets punished. And the guys who are given more money are praised and rewarded. Now, to quickly contrast two other Bible stories, I won't, I won't read them just for the sake of time, you may know the story where Jesus' disciples are at the temple and there's this poor woman, there's all these rich people coming and putting in piles of money into the offering plate, it's a big fanfare, and then this poor woman comes and puts in these couple of almost worthless coins, like almost completely worthless coins she puts in, and Jesus says to his friends, his disciples, he says, look at her, she just gave more than all the rest. He says, they gave out of her abundance. She gave what little she had. She had basically everything she had, she just gave. There's another story where Jesus is having dinner with some friends, and this woman comes in and takes this incredibly expensive jar of perfume. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars in today's money. And she breaks it over his feet, and she's crying, and she washes his feet with her hair. And Jesus you know, commends her for it, says that's an amazing act of love. So again, you have two very different stories. You have a woman with almost nothing 
who gave the tiny bit that she had, and a woman who may not have been rich, but she had an incredibly expensive asset, she, she provided that as an act of love. Two very different amounts of wealth, I guess, and Jesus really praises and loves both those acts. And so, what's the point? Um, here's a few sort of hard and fast conclusions up on the screen that we can draw from these stories. The first one is that Jesus cares a lot less about your bank balance than you might think. He cares a lot less about your bank balance than you might think. Think the, the parable of the talents, the first one I read. Now, it, it seems to be talking about the use of gifts in general. It's not just talking about money, but it is, the point is relevant to money. Where God has blessed us with abundance, it is not a sin to have abundance. I'll say that again. Where God blesses us with abundance, it's not a sin to have abundance. The lesson from the parable is that the sin lies in not seeking to make the most of it and not seeking to maximize the benefit. That's an unusual lesson to find in the Bible, isn't it? The two women that I mentioned, both were praised for their acts regardless of the monetary value of the gift they gave. The rich fool who had his life taken away. This is really interesting. The root of of his problem was not the money. He actually decided to stop trying to make more money, didn't he? He actually decided to stop trying to make more money. He wasn't chasing more. The root of the problem was what he used it for, and that was to hoard it and to maintain this high quality of life, to seek after comfort, to seek after ease, to seek after experience. That was the problem. And that's super convicting for us, isn't it? Super convicting for us because we might say that we don't prioritize our wealth, that our wealth is not the most important thing for us, but it's not, we wouldn't be able to go and travel the world or have $30 brunch every week or um, you know, have a, rent a holiday house for our friends. We wouldn't be able to do that if we're struggling for money. You know, our wealth is a gateway to these things. You know, just like the rich fool that built bigger barns for himself. In Australia, we love to use our wealth as a cushion to enable us to experience these things. Let me be clear. Those things are not sinful, all right? They're not sinful in and of themselves. I've, I have traveled the world a couple of, well, traveled to other countries a few times. I, have, I love $30 brunches. I love having, you know, weekends away with my friends. Those things are not sinful. Can we actually honor God by doing those things? Absolutely we can. Just want to make that clear. But the problem with money and with experiences is not having them. It's whether we make those the center. It's whether we make those the focus. And so we see that the amount of wealth that we have is not actually the main point. There's other factors that matter way more to God. The second point that I've put up there is quite similar. God does not love you or approve of you based on how much wealth you have. We see that with the story of the two two different women. These stories show that, all the stories I read, show that it's possible to honor God or to anger God if you have lots. And it's possible to honor God or to anger God if you have little. The third point is that money is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful gift, but it's a terrible master. You know, the rich fool thought he was master of his future. The rich man who built bigger barns, he thought he was master of his future. He's like, all right, I've got this laid out. I've got this set. I'm going to set myself up so I can take the rest of my life easy. He thought he was master of his own future. He was a fool. In reality, he was mastered by that desire for comfort. That desire for comfort, that desire for ease and for experience, that mastered him. 
The man with 10 talents, he, with five that became 10 and became 11. He was given lots. He wasn't mastered by it, but instead he took it, he was wise with it, he used it, and then he gave it back to his real master. The woman with the perfume, she had an incredibly expensive item, but she was not mastered by that. Instead, she used it to serve her true master. And the woman with only a few cheap coins, she wasn't mastered by fear. I mean, if I, if I had that little money, I don't know if I'd be strong enough to actually give that away. But she wasn't mastered by fear of the future, of the unknown. Instead, she showed astonishing trust in her true master, in her heavenly father. Another quote from Paul Tripp. He says, Your world of money will be determined by your allegiance to the work of one of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of self. God gives you money not so much to make sure that your kingdom works, but to connect you by grace to the work of a much bigger, much better kingdom. As you give yourself to the work of this kingdom, you get to watch your money do things that are literally of eternal consequence. I love that last sentence, I'm going to read it again. As you give yourself to the work of this kingdom, you get to watch your money do things that are literally of eternal consequence. And so I challenge you tonight, I challenge all of us, is your perspective on money temporary or eternal? And is your perspective on the things you experience in life, is that temporary or eternal? Because God created this world in the hope that we would prosper in it and that we would enjoy it. But honestly, experiencing the kingdom of God will make the greatest experiences of this life seem like pretty laughable in comparison. Because the thing is, Jesus is not about minimizing our experiences. He's actually about maximizing them. He's about maximizing them. You know, Francis Chan uses this, um, I don't have a rope with me, but he uses this analogy. It's quite, you know, it's, it went sort of kind of big on the internet when he did it. He had this, he brought this rope on stage, like a really long rope. I think it was sort of, you know, 10, 15 meters long. And he, he sort of pulled the rope all along and he's like, this is all of your life and all of eternity that, it, that you will spend. This, this is your entire existence now in eternity. And he got like a... Um, marker or something and marked off about that much of the rope from this entire rope that was all over the stage and he said that is the time you spend in this lifetime and it was this really simple but really powerful analogy that this life is so fleeting compared to what God has planned for us in eternity so fleeting so what matters to what matters the most is not how much money you have but who is your master? Who is your master? Culture often says to us, build your wealth so you can enjoy a life of comfort, you can enjoy a life of ease, you can enjoy a life of well-being that you deserve. Or it says to us, you don't need money. Experience the world and find what makes you happy. Jesus flips both of those on, his, on their heads. And he gives us something infinitely better, something eternally better. He shows us that true joy and true purpose and true fulfillment are found in living for something that is greater than, you, than yourself and something that is not just, eternal, uh, it's not just temporary but is eternal. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, our money become, literally becomes a gift with eternal significance. And our experiences in this life become a gift that points to the infinitely greater experiences of the kingdom of God. So culture tells us to seek freedom, tells us to control our own lives, but 
as I said earlier, we're all enslaved to something. We're so, so easily, it's so easy to be led and influenced by this culture, isn't it? I feel that every day we can be led by the desire to be accepted. As Carl talked about previously, the desire to feel loved, the desire to possess things, the desire to be in control of our own lives, the desire to have people look up to us and admire us, the desire to experience new things, to see the world. And I'm painfully, easily led by these desires. It's so easy. The list goes on. But I know, you know, deep inside my heart, I know that the most powerful force that can ever lead us is also the force, the only force that loves us perfectly and truly. Never stop loving us. There are so many cultural forces that appear like they want to make us happy. They're so seducing in, in offering us fulfillment and happiness and joy, but they really, really don't. There's only one force that truly, perfectly loves us. Um, as I finish off, I'll invite the band up. I just want to leave us with, with this, that when we, when we truly love and trust Jesus as Lord, he frees us from the need to rely on money. He frees us from the need to shy away from money. He, he frees us to, to, to make money and to have it and to use it and to, to do various things with it and be generous with it, but always with an open hand. Because when we trust in Jesus as Lord of our life, money becomes a useful tool rather than a necessity. It becomes a useful tool. It becomes a, a servant. As it, it serves us as we serve Jesus. It enables us to bless others and build community together in ways that literally have eternal repercussions. When we truly trust Jesus as Lord, he frees us to enjoy this life and enjoy this life's experiences, again, with an open hand. We don't have to cling on to them. He frees us from desperately seeking after new and exciting experiences because in him we find lasting joy. We find lasting joy in this lifetime because we find, etern- we find purpose, we find hope. We also inherit the promise of eternal life, which will just make all the experiences of this life seem minuscule by comparison. Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's so hard to surrender to you. It's so hard to surrender to you because we so love to be in control. We so love to be in control of our own destinies, of our own lives, and we, we can't help but desire freedom. We can't help but desire comfort and security. And we ask your forgiveness for when we seek these in the wrong place. And we ask for your help because without your Spirit's help, we cannot fully trust in you. In you, we find true freedom. In you, we find true joy. So Lord, work on our hearts. Work on our hearts and bring us to you. Whether it's bringing us to you for the first time ever or bringing us back to you when we realize that we've been relying on other things. You are merciful. You are patient. You died for us and you want to know us. And we praise you and we love you. Amen.